It was a dark moment in the moment or in the ministry of Jesus. He had just spent the day preaching in the synagogues of Capernaum. And people had flocked to him because of his feeding of the 5,000. And so Jesus used that feeding, that moment to teach about the bread of life. But as he preached, the people began to grumble amongst themselves, saying, who can understand what he's talking about? Who can fathom? Who can receive this message? And so many began to leave Jesus. Many of those who considered themselves to be disciples of Christ abandoned him. And so Jesus turned and he looked at his apostles and he said, you do not want to leave too, do you? And in John chapter 6 and verse 67, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, where would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. When we think about our worship and what we do as a church, we focus on the words of life. One of the things that we do every Sunday when we gather together is open the scriptures together and study the words of eternal life. The psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The same psalmist says in Psalm 118, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God. It provides us with direction. It provides us with guidance. It provides us with everything we need. In fact, Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us. This morning, I want us to think about our worship together and the role that preaching and the role that having time to study God's Word together fits into our worship service. So we begin this morning by looking at how Jesus talks about the Word and the role of discussing the Word in the worship service. Then I want us to look at some things that Paul writes to Timothy about his requirements or his work as an evangelist, a preacher. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, first be turning to John chapter 12. And as we turn to John chapter 12, I want you to know this is one of the passages that drives me. This is one of the passages uh, that is one that has always stuck with me. And it sticks with me and it drives me because I tell myself I must compare myself with Christ. Not in an egotistical way but in a humbling way to say, if this was Jesus' attitude and perception, it better be mine. Notice what Jesus says. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe 
in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at that last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but my Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life, therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus was God on earth. Emmanuel, God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John says. Jesus was God on earth. Paul says in Colossians that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He was God on earth. And yet Jesus says, I don't say anything unless it's what I got from my Father. And I say it just as he said me, as he said it, as he told me to speak it. The word was important to Christ. To say it and speak it and teach it exactly as he received it. And if that was Jesus' attitude, and if that was Jesus' approach to what he was doing, that tells us the importance of dwelling on the word of God. But I want you to fast forward in time from when Jesus speaks here in John chapter 12. And I want you to notice what Jesus says is the mission of the church. Matthew 28. I suspect that many in this room can quote this passage, but we'll go ahead and read it. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. This is Jesus before he ascends into heaven, speaking to his apostles. And we'll go ahead and stop, start in verse 16 just to get the full context. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Discipleship does not simply mean baptizing folks who have never heard of Christ and just leaving them there. That's certainly part of it teaching them so that they can make a decision to become a disciple. 
But then he says, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You see, discipleship is that process of bringing someone from the point of having perhaps no faith. And you teach them about Jesus. They begin to have faith. And it takes hold of their lives. And they decide, I want to become a Christian. I want to become a child of God. I want to follow God. And so you baptize them. But discipleship is more. It's bringing them to know what it is to pattern their lives after Christ. And Jesus says the way that you do that is you continue to teach them. And they continue to grow. And as a church, you need to do that. Ephesians chapter 4. Those of you that have known me for a while are probably sick of hearing this. Ephesians chapter 4. We look at the role of evangelists in the church. Verse 11, Paul says that God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And, and so one of the reasons that we have in the church people that we call evangelists is because they contribute to equipping the saints for works of service, for the building up of the church. And the apostles and prophets, they delivered the word of God. And preachers, evangelists, preach it. Verse 13, he continues, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, if we were having a detailed study of Ephesians chapter 4, we would look at this in detail and we'd continue our reading. But our point this morning is just to notice that within the church, you have preaching and teaching which serves the purpose of equipping saints so you can go out and do works of service so that everyone is able to attain a, a full knowledge of Jesus Christ and a full faith in Jesus Christ until you reach a mature man. Now, ladies, I ask you, have you ever met a mature man? We're always growing, aren't we? If the church is doing what it should be doing, this never stops, not because men aren't mature. But it never stops because, you know what, Ozzie and Stephanie have a beautiful little girl. And someday she'll reach the age in which she's able to make a decision that she wants to become a Christian. And we'll need to help her grow in her faith and knowledge of Christ. Out there beyond the parking lot somewhere, is someone who hasn't heard the gospel. And our goal is to reach out to them and to teach them so that they're able to walk in through that door, or perhaps maybe another door sometime soon, and, and we'll, we're able to teach them and help them grow and, and mature. It never ends. I hope in my own life that I continue to study and continue to learn. It should never end. But the point in all of this is as we think about our worship service together, teaching ought to be a fundamental part. 
So that's what we want to look at next, is where is teaching as part of the worship service? Uh, recently, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, so we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we want to notice what Paul says about their assembly. Remember, the context is you have people fighting over the fact that some speak tongues, languages they haven't formally studied, but they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak. And then you have some there that are prophets, and God, through the Holy Spirit, has enabled them to be prophets. But verse 26 gives us a very quick snapshot of what their worship service included. Verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by the most, at the most two or three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one that you may learn and all may be exhorted, exhorted. As we look at the assembly of the church in Corinth, it appears that sometimes there were people uh, that wanted to present a psalm. And again, there's some ambiguity there. That could be singing a psalm. That could be presenting a lesson from the psalms. But he says some have messages uh, that they communicate through foreign languages. Some have messages that they communicate through prophets. And some have a teaching. But he says all of it needs to be done in a manner that builds up the church so that all can, number one, learn, and number two, be exhorted. And remember, he says this is taking place in their assembly. And as we've looked at previously, his point here is all of it needs to be done in a manner so that everyone is able to learn, so that everything is done in an orderly fashion. Now, this is an interesting conversation that Paul is having with these Christians because when we turn a few chapters earlier in chapter 11, Paul seems to say that There's another reason why they assemble. Chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now the issue here is that there were some uh, who were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. And, and Paul says, look, I, I've heard some, some bad things about your assemblies and the way that you're abusing the Lord's Supper. Look in verse 18. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. It seems to be, and many will make the case from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
that one of the primary reasons the church assembled on a regular basis was to eat the Lord's Supper. In fact, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul's traveling along and it says that they, they prolonged their stay for the purpose of eating the Lord's Supper. And so some will say, well, that needs to be the focus of our worship service. When you have a guy standing up there for 30 minutes, for 20 minutes, that never happens. For 40 minutes, that's more like it. You're making the focus that instead of the Lord's Supper. I think we're missing the point. It can be both. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the things that we see in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, all of that was a part of their worship service. Focusing on the Lord's Supper and preaching. I want you to think about what Jesus did. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. There are many biblical scholars who believe that the things done in the first century church align themselves very closely with what was done in synagogue worship by the Jews. And if you think about it, many of the places that Paul went was first the synagogue. Uh, many people look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, and so it follows what we know was done in the Jewish synagogue. But I want you to know what Jesus did. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he, he sent me to proclaim release to captives, and to recover the sight of the blind, and to, to set free those who were oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The pattern in the synagogue was, as often the case, someone would be designated to present a lesson, usually from the Psalms or the prophets, and they would read the text and then sit down. And they would teach from a sitting position. And that seems to be what Jesus is doing here in Luke chapter 4. He's following the pattern of the day. But you see, in their synagogue worship, their focus was on the Word of God. Not so much on the preacher, but on the Word of God. Now, the folks here in Luke chapter 4 are not going to like what Jesus has to say because he identifies himself as the Messiah, and that's just too much for their minds at the time. But it was a pattern that we see in the church. Focusing on the Word of God. Why would you do that? I want to, again, as we think about why would you do that, shift into thinking about the role of the evangelist in the church and in the worship service. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
obviously, the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, probably right before he uh, dies at the hands of Nero, or possibly dies at the hands of Nero. Paul's telling Timothy, here's what you need to get ready to do. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and been convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from, the child, from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the Old Testament, we would say, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He says, Timothy, this is where you need to stay. You need to stay in the Word, which to him was the Old Testament Scriptures pointing to the Christ. And then perhaps to those other scriptures that Paul and Timothy were aware of as the apostles were writing what we now have as the New Testament. And he says all that scripture serves a purpose. It equips the man of God for every good work. If you need to know what you need to do to be trained in righteousness, if you need to know what you ought to do as a Christian in your life, you need to be in the Word. That's the focus, is the word. So Paul continues his discussion. Now we begin thinking about the preacher in the worship service. Paul says this as he continues in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own devices and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul says, Timothy, as a preacher of the word, this is what you need to do. Preach the word. Always be able to stand up at a moment's notice and proclaim the gospel. What that phrase, be ready in season and out of season, means? It's that sometimes the message gets to be good and exciting. You're exhorting. Sometimes the message has to carry a warning to reprove or rebuke. But he says... You need to do it with great patience and instruction. Meaning sometimes you need to realize that as you teach and as you preach, it takes time, folks a little bit of time to grow so you have great patience and instruction. 
Paul says something very similar as we go to Paul's first letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance by the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do, you will ensure salvation both to yourself or for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul says, Timothy, as a evangelist, these are things you need to do. You need to pay attention to the Word. The things I've taught you, Timothy, you need to preach these things. You need to prescribe these things. You need to say this is what the church ought to be doing. And he says, by the way, in your personal conduct, make sure your life is exemplary. But he says, Paul, Timothy, look, the things that you have received, the spiritual gift that miraculously, I believe, was given to him, he says, you need to make sure that you're engaged in these things, that you're doing these things. But isn't it interesting, he says in verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. What is the gravity of the things that a preacher speaks? It's salvation for himself and for those who hear him. What did Jesus say back there in John chapter 12? The things I speak, I speak just as my Father has commanded me, and I speak them just as he has commanded me, because I know his words are eternal life. When we assemble together, we study the word of God. Because the words of God are what provide us with eternal life. We study the word of God because we know that by studying the word of God, we can be equipped for every good work. We study the word of God because it contains uh, the training for righteousness that we need to have. We study the word of God because it helps us grow up to be a mature person in Christ. We study the word of God because it helps us grow in our faith. We study the word of God because it helps us grow in our knowledge of Christ. And when Jesus said, make disciples of every nation, teach them to observe all that I have taught you, and he passes that on to the apostles. And the apostles have recorded those things for us. We teach those things because when it comes down to it, we want to be like Jesus. Why do we have preaching on Sunday mornings, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, it's because we want to live like Jesus. And the way that we're able to do that is by knowing who Jesus is in the Word of God. We worship 
and we worship in spirit and in truth in our songs, in our Lord's Supper, in the order that we have in our worship service, but in the words that we speak and study as we worship together, giving our homage, our reverence to Him by focusing on His ways and not mine. If you're here this morning and you want to become a disciple of Christ by becoming united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection, if there's other needs that you have this morning as you're here with us, won't you let that also be known as together we stand and